You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we have our scripture reading from the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest." And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This afternoon we continue looking at the Gospel according to Mark, and we've come to Mark 4, verses 21 to 25. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Beloved congregation of Christ our Lord, 
Ten years before it happened, things would have been completely hopeless. But when the American president was shot, there was a new medical technology that could potentially save his life. The year was 1901, and the president was William McKinley. He had been shot at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. He shot twice, actually, at close range. Now, the doctors were able to remove one bullet, but they just couldn't find the second. And time was running out. President McKinley was conscious, and he requested that a new piece of medical technology be used to find it. Thomas Edison, the well-known inventor, had recently invented an x-ray machine that could be used for medical purposes. However, despite the hope it offered, President McKinley's doctors were reluctant to use it for fear of unknown side effects. Consequently, he went into septic shock, and he died from his wounds on September 14th, 1901. The x-ray machine might have saved his life, but it was never used. However, in the years following, the technology was proven to be safe, relatively safe, and it has indeed saved countless lives. Finally, we had something that could expose what was hidden within the human body and could do so without surgery. Today, as we turn again to Mark, we find that there is something similar in the spiritual realm. Just as there are x-rays to expose what is hidden within our bodies, so God has given something that exposes what is hidden within our souls. The Word of God is like an x-ray for our souls or hearts. It exposes what really lives within us. So I preach to you God's Word this afternoon with the theme, The Word Reveals What Lives in Your Heart. We'll consider two things. First of all, the reality of this revelation. And then second of all, the result of this revelation. Well, last time, as we considered verses 1 to 20, we saw that the parable of the sower is all about hearing. The seed sown was the Word, and the different soil types are different kinds of people who hear the Word. The message of the parable is to be the good soil that hears the Word, that accepts it, and produces a crop. If you remember, we learned that the Word should be heard and accepted immediately, deeply, and exclusively. Now, it's that context that we need to keep in mind as we look at verses 21 to 25. Though at first glance it may not seem to be the case, the Lord Jesus is speaking about the same thing in this passage. Notice that he mentions hearing again in verses 23 and 24. That's a strong hint that this text is about hearing, just like the one before it. Hearing what, you ask? Well, of course, it's going to be about hearing the Word. The Word preached by Jesus. The Word preached later on by His apostles. And the same Word that's been preached by the church down to the present day. 
That's probably the most obvious connection between our passage and the first 20 verses of chapter 4. But there is another connection. Let's draw this out by first looking carefully at verses 21 and 22. Christ is still speaking to his inner circle of disciples, the 12 and then some others, and then he speaks about a lamp. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Well, I think we all know what a lamp is, simply an ancient version of a light. However, there was one major difference between lights as we know them these days and the lamps that were used in Palestine. And the major difference is that the lamps were typically only used when it was dark. If you look up at the ceiling right now, the lights are on here in this church building in the middle of the day just to make things brighter so we don't get a little bit dozy. But in Jesus' day, oil was expensive. Oil was what fed the lamps. And you wouldn't waste it by lighting your lamp during the day. Lamps were for at night. Moreover, a lamp belongs in a certain place in the house. It makes no sense to put it somewhere its light can't shine, like under a bowl or under a bed. Instead, you put it where it can shed light everywhere in the house. That's its natural place. And when the lamp is lit and burning, it gives light to the dark house. It exposes whatever is hidden and concealed in the darkness. You light the lamp, and then you see the chair that you might otherwise have tripped over. You light the lamp, and then you see the toys the the kids left on the floor. The lamp exposes what is in the dark house. And that's where there's another connection to the parable of the sower. As the sower went about his work, he didn't know that there was only one inch of soil in certain places. He didn't know that the rock was just underneath the surface. As the farmer sowed, he didn't see the roots of the thorns waiting to choke out some of the seed. All those things about the soil were hidden. They only became revealed later after the seed was sown and it started growing. The seed revealed the different soil types. And you'll remember what the seed stood for. It was the Word. Now it's true that there are other places in the Gospel where the Lord Jesus uses this image of the lamp or the light, and then He uses it to speak about the believer. Let your light so shine before men, and so on. But not here. Here, the context demands that we see the lamp as the Word of God that reveals something that opens up something which has been previously hidden. And this is confirmed when the Lord Jesus says in verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's repeating what he said in verse 9 after he told the parable of the sower. And so this has to do again with the hearing of the Word. Now, this parable is not exactly the same as the parable of the sower. Rather, it builds on that of the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower told us to be the good soil. That was its message. 
This passage tells us that the Word, like a lamp, exposes what lives in our hearts. And then, following that, there is a certain response. And we'll get to what that response is in a moment. For now, consider that this revealing light of the Word was set on a lampstand in Christ's day. He said at one point that his preaching was not done in a corner somewhere. It was done publicly. And so it still is. The Word must be publicly proclaimed. It's not designed to be hidden, but to shine. That's how it will do its work. Furthermore, this lamp is not weak. It's not going to burn out. It's not going to run out of oil or fade away. The light of the Word is intense. We're talking about thousands of candle power. And this house, where the light intensely shines, it's not just any old house. It's a special house. It's the house, first of all, of God's covenant. Remember, Christ was not speaking to just any people in the Roman Empire. He was speaking to God's covenant people at this moment. The light powerfully penetrates into the darkness and exposes the reality of who each person is. And we read from Hebrews 4, and verses 12 to 13 uses a a different image, but the message there is exactly the same as what we have here. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. You see, as a child of the covenant... It's impossible to hide from the lamp of God's Word. That's reality. That reality existed in the days of the Lord Jesus. He brought His preaching to the covenant people of His day. And that preaching exposed people. Exposed them for who they really were. There were some, like the disciples, who received the Word in faith. But there were others, many others in fact, who were more like the poor types of soil. And the reality of what God's Word does still exists today. Today we still hear the preaching of the Word. It continues to function as a lamp or as an x-ray. Loved ones, most of us were born into God's covenant. Others among us were, were brought in at later stages. Whatever the case may be, here you are today. And you cannot hide from this intense light shining into your heart. The light still burning. And it still discriminates. It distinguishes the good soil from the bad. It shows what really hides in your heart. And so let me ask you, what is the Word exposing in your heart? How do you react when you hear the Word preached? This text calls us to self-examination. 
Every time we hear the law of God and what it requires of us, when it says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, do we feel pricked? Are we broken? Are we convicted of our sin and do we flee to the cross of Christ for refuge? Every time we hear the gospel of free grace, do our hearts leap for joy at the salvation revealed? Are we glad to hear the good news that Jesus suffered in our place? Are we rejoicing that He lived a perfect life for us? Are we filled with love, praise, and gratitude? Loved ones, what is God seeing when you hear the Word? Or do we get tired of the Word? Thinking, uh, we've heard all this before, so we can put our heads back and we can close our eyes and go to sleep. Do we treat the Word with contempt? looking down our noses at it. What is the Word revealing about what lives in your heart? Indeed, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Come to verses 24 and 25. The Lord says, Consider carefully what you hear. In the parallel passage in Luke, we hear him saying, consider carefully how you hear. In Mark, it almost sounds as if Christ is focused on the variety of things you could hear and saying here that it's important for believers to pick the right things to hear. Maybe possible, but given the parallel and given the context, it's not likely. We could paraphrase what Christ is saying here by putting it this way. Consider carefully what it is you are hearing at this moment. Consider carefully that what you are hearing is indeed the Word of God. I suspect that none of us have a problem with Christ preaching being the Word of God being on exactly the same level as the Word of God written in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Well, what about preaching today? Is the preaching of the Word of God the Word of God? Well, consider what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. So far as we know, the Lord Jesus had never been to Ephesus. Ephesus is in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And the Lord Jesus spent His ministry years in Palestine and in Israel. But in Ephesians 2.17, we read that Christ came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Christ came and preached peace. But Jesus Christ never visited Ephesus. How can it be that he preached there, that he came and preached there? It was through the preaching of Paul and others. Paul's preaching was Christ's preaching. Paul's words were the word of God to the Ephesian believers. 
And while Paul's words in the letter to the Ephesians were inspired by the Holy Spirit, we have no indication that every word which Paul spoke was of the same character, as if every utterance an apostle might make was infallible and inspired. But yet, Paul's preaching was Christ's preaching. We find more such passages in the New Testament to tell us that when the Bible is preached faithfully by one of God's servants, it is the Word of God. Consider carefully that what you are hearing when you listen to preaching is indeed the Word of God, not the mere words or opinions of a man. The Lord Jesus goes on to say that with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. And here again, Christ uses these same words elsewhere in a different context. And here, they don't have anything to do with judging others. Rather, here it has to do with how we regard the Word of God. If we hear the Word and judge it to be the Word of God that has authority and power in our lives, there will be blessings for us in great abundance. However, if we hear the Word and judge it to be the opinions of a man that we can take or leave, we will not receive blessings. Rather, the opposite, and in great abundance. Another way of saying this is that you will get out of it what you put into it. If you put faith in it, it will bless you. If you regard it with disbelief or contempt, nothing good will come from that. And Christ builds on this with what He says in verse 25, Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Well, let's take this piece by piece. First, whoever has will be given more. That means that when a covenant member hears the preaching of the Word and by God's grace embraces it and accepts it, then he will be richly blessed. There's good news. Tremendously rich blessings are in store for the covenant people who respond in faith to the preaching of Christ. Now perhaps when he said this, our Savior was thinking ahead. Thinking ahead to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. How could any believer not regard that as being given more? Today we too, we have the Spirit of Christ living in us and what a blessing that is. Christ guides us with His Word and Spirit and blesses us richly in this way. But there are also many other blessings. And when we talk about these blessings, it's not about the superficial, external things. It's about the things that really matter. Things that matter for eternity. When you have faith in Christ, when you receive the Word like good soil, you have pardoned for your sins. You have been forgiven much. Savor that thought for a moment. You have been forgiven much. 
find delight in the fact that all your sins, not just a part, but the whole, has been erased with the blood of Jesus. Your sins, Paul says, were nailed to the cross. And if that weren't enough, you have the blessing of having, of being declared right with God, being positively right with God. All of Christ's perfect righteousness is yours. It's been given to you, credited to your account. You have peace and reconciliation. You're adopted into God's family. You have a father who loves you and has a healthy, good relationship with you. Now, isn't that wonderful to know that? You have the guarantee that the Father who created you also knew your name. He chose you before the creation of the world to be His. And you have holiness, joy, assurance. You have confidence, like it says in Hebrews, that you can approach the throne of your Father with all your needs, body and soul. And you have the blessing of knowing that He will respond in the way that's best for you. You have the blessing of knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. When you have trials on this earth, you can know that even these will be turned for your good somehow, some way. You have the promise of a glorified body with no aches and pains. No more grief. No more sorrow. You can look forward to life eternal in the new heavens and new earth. Loved ones, all these things will be added to you when the preaching of the Word reveals faith in your heart. Loved ones, to be blessed like this, it's simple. Repent and believe the Gospel as often as you hear it. Hear the Word and accept it with joy immediately, deeply, and exclusively. So yes, wonderful blessings are there. There's plenty of good news. But our Savior here in our text also speaks about bad news. If we're going to deal with the text, we have to also mention what He says. He mentions a curse for whoever does not have. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is a serious warning that we all need to hear. It means that when a covenant member hears the preaching of the Word and by his own fault rejects it, he's in a world of trouble. If he does not have faith, any blessings that God has, has graciously given him in this life will in due time be completely removed. A covenant member who rejects the promises, who rejects the Lord, may have earthly riches in this life. God will take them all away when he dies and he will have nothing. An apostate covenant member 
may have good health in this life. He may live to be 80 or 90 or even further on. He will die, as all men do. And when He does, God will take away any notion of good health in the hereafter. He will suffer eternally. A person born in the covenant who rejects Christ for salvation may have a fairly happy family life, may have a a fairly good marriage, may have a successful business. God will take it all away in due time. And he will be left with nothing but God-forsakenness and brokenness. You don't believe it? Look at the example of the Jews of the day of our Lord Jesus. They were covenant people who had been given wonderful promises. But without Christ and without Him, without faith being added to those promises, as it says in Hebrews, those promises were nothing. In fact, the lack of faith led to negative consequences, to curses. They could not reject Christ and His preaching with immunity. Rather, judgment came upon Israel for her disbelief. In 70 A.D., God's wrath was poured out when the Romans sacked Jerusalem and the Jews were dispersed all over the Roman Empire. Many, many people died. Many people suffered. And that happened because the lamp of Christ's preaching the x-ray exposed their hearts for what they really were. And this means that the church today could be the most dangerous place on earth for you to be if you don't believe. If we think that we're safe here or that we're on neutral ground, if we go on rejecting the preaching of the Word, not living out of faith in Christ, if we treat the proclamation of God's Word with contempt, and we think that's okay, and we're dead wrong. That's the way we think the church is not a sanctuary or a, a refuge for us. Rather, it's the place where the sword of God's judgment hangs precariously over our heads. And I know that sounds negative, and it is, but that's what the text says. It's exactly the message the Lord Jesus was giving here in Mark 4. Even what he has will be taken away from him. Those are words of judgment. Loved ones, listen to his message. See how rich we are with God's promises. And do you you want a, a summary of how rich you are, of what he's promised you in the Bible? Look at the form for baptism. When you were baptized, what God said to you, God the Father testifies and seals to us that He establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for His children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. Oh, we hear those words so often every time there's a baptism. We think about it. Those promises were made to you. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that He washes us in His blood from all our sins and unites us with Him in His death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. 
That's so sweet. That is so rich and beautiful. Promises for you. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this sacrament that He will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Think about that. Think about how wonderful those promises are. The triune God richly promises us so much in His Word. Now pay attention to this warning against covenant breaking and ensure that the Word exposes faith in your heart. That you're saying, yes, Lord, those promises are for me. Fix your eyes on Christ your Savior and be saved from the wrath which is to come. The lamp of the Word of God continues to shine. And it results in two things. It either results in judgment or it results in salvation. Therefore, beloved, consider carefully how you listen. Let me urge you, Again, don't be foolish and unbelieving. Don't be a hypocrite. If you choose that route, there will be nothing but curses and eternal misery for you. Instead, let's be that soil that God reveals by His own grace to be deep and rich. Let's be careful to receive God's Word with faith as it's preached each Sunday. Looking to Christ, we will receive the strength to do that. He will more and more fill us with His Spirit so that we delight in His Word, so that we find it sweet to our souls. Looking to Christ and His Word and faith, we can be confident that even greater blessings are waiting for us. Imagine if you can. God dwelling with us and we dwelling with God in perfect harmony and unity. There will be no sin to hinder our enjoyment of this communion. And there will still be light. The light will still be there. But it's not going to be there to expose sin. In fact, when that day comes, no one will even think of associating light and sin in any way, shape, or form. In the age to come, light exists for one purpose. Amplifying the glory of God. Revelation 21-23 tells us what to look forward to. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it. The glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your Word is not only a lamp for our feet, it is also a light shining into our souls. We pray, Lord God, that Your Word would find faith in each of our hearts. We pray that the shining of Your Word would be salvation for each one of us, Your people. Father, we ask that the Word would not expose unbelief and lead to judgment. We thank You for Your covenant promises signed and sealed to each one of us in our baptism. As we hear those promises proclaimed each Sunday, Lord God, help us to accept them, to believe them freshly and with joy, each time and again. 
Father, guard us, young and old, in your truth and in your ways. Help us always to fix our eyes on Christ, our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.